0: The advantage of being a pastor during the Christmas season every year is that you have to examine the story of Christmas kind of with fresh eyes each year. You see, I think that for a lot of us, it just becomes kind of rote, right? And we, we look through the story, we hear the little elements, oh yeah, that's right, three kings, blah, 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 blah. And we just move through it without really a recognition of how really weird it is. I mean, It's weird. Very, very weird. And so as I examined this story for today, I could have probably just preached the same sermon I preached last year, and you guys wouldn't even know. Um, but I don't feel like I can do that. I feel like I got I to gotta preach a different sermon. I got to preach something different. Um, and, and on Epiphany, we can celebrate one of two different things. We can celebrate the baptism of Jesus, or we can celebrate the coming of the three wise men. And I decided to look at this passage, look at this story with some fresh eyes. One of the things that struck me is how odd this whole scene is. I mean, just think about this for a second. This is Israel we're talking about, God's special covenant people. He called Abraham... A couple thousand years, maybe more, before all of these events. And he led Abraham into a relationship with him that led to a fruit of descendants that created a nation. And then he led that nation into the promised land that he had told Abraham he would give to them. And he led those people throughout time and history to worship him, to have these experiences with him. So that they would know who the God who created all things was. This is Israel. And yet when we see this story, the story of some wise men coming to seek out the new king of Israel, where are they from? Not Israel. Yeah, Hamtramck. Closer than you think. (laughs) No, we don't know really actually where they're from. It just says that they're from the east. And here's one of the weirdest things about them being from the east. Egypt would have been kind of southwest from there. If they were from the east, the neighboring areas in the east would have been historically ruled by the Babylonian Empire. The empire that once came in, sacked Jerusalem, and took all the people of Israel and spread them throughout the entire Mediterranean and their empire at the time so that they could conquer them and they could rule over them. And so this is the nation where Israel spent decades, maybe centuries, underneath the rule of an oppressive regime. And it's from those lands that people come to the foot of Of the newborn king to offer him gifts and worship him. Now, if you're not weirded out by that, I'm weirded out by that. Why was Israel not the one who had wise men who were seeking after these things and watching for these things and ready to come and welcome the new king? And in fact, the king, or really the, the kind of provincial ruler who was given power by Rome to rule over the area, Judea at the time, the king, when he hears from these three visitors that there's, well, not three visitors, these visitors, we don't know how many there are, uh, but when he hears from them that there's a new king born, what does he do? He freaks out, right? Right? This is a threat to his kinghood. This is a threat to his kingdom, his rule, his power. And instead of celebrating, instead of seeking the wisdom and the guidance of the temple and all of them coming together to worship God for finally fulfilling his promises that he's been giving to them for thousands of years, instead he begins to plot how can he destroy this threat. Is that not weird? It's weird to me. Now, before we get up in a huff about uh, Israel, we do recognize that God does tell uh, that, that this is the king, this is the promised Messiah through different emissaries in Israel. We see in Luke as the, the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, are bringing b- the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. There is a prophet there, a priest named Simeon, who's been serving there for a long time, and he had been praying, Lord, before I die, can I please, can I please be able to witness with my own eyes the birth of your promise and the hope of Israel. And when he comes to the temple that day, he sees and lays eyes on Jesus, and he's told by the Lord that this is the Messiah. And so he, he prophesies over Messiah. And, and while he's doing that, another a prophetess, an old woman named Anna, who had been basically living at the temple, she was widowed, and she was there day after day worshiping the Lord, She hears the commotion, she hears whatever Simeon is praying, and she comes over to see herself, and she prophesies over Jesus. But neither of these people are particularly representative of the authority structure within Israel, right? They're kind of underneath the authority structure. And then we also see that when Jesus is born, the angels announce Jesus' birth to a group of people, but not to the magistrates, not to the Sanhedrin, not to the the teachers and the rabbis and the synagogues of the area. No, not at all. He goes, the angels go out into the field and they announce it to shepherds, the salt of the earth, the every man, or as John McCain might have said, Joe the plumber. You guys were supposed to laugh at that. You don't remember that election? Come on. So he goes out to the field and and God announces through his hosts of armies of angels that his Messiah is born to these no-names who are just working a job out in the field. There's something weird about what God is doing here. There's something subversive about what God is doing here. You understand that? That God is subverting our expectations and subverting our all of our knowledge and he's doing something that he had been promised for years that people had studied for centuries and they had come up with detailed plans about how God was going to do it and instead he does it exactly like he had promised he was going to do it yet it's wholly different than anybody expected. Wow. What a God. What an amazing God who would be so creative in even how he fulfills his promises. So he sends these these travelers who knows what they were. The word really means magicians. That they're these wise men, they're these people who who practice kind of the divine arts in some way or another. And so probably from the time when Israel was in exile in Babylon. Some prophecies were risen up around a Babylonian cult of some sort or another where they, they prophesied that when this star appeared in the sky, sky, there'd be a new king in Israel. Yet it was never recorded in any of the Hebrew Scriptures. And they had it in their Scriptures in some way or another. Do you, do you get this? Do you get this? These are not the covenant people of God. And yet they're watching and they're waiting for God To fulfill His promises. That is weird. That is weird. That would be like somebody who has been an atheist for years. Or who is a part of another religion coming in here. And teaching us about Jesus Christ. How many of you would accept that person? I'd kick them out. I'd hope Session would vote with me to kick them out. And yet here's these wise men coming and they're going to give homage to the king of Israel. God is so subversive. God completely upends all of our expectations and does something so much better than any of us could have ever imagined. Does it exactly how he was always intending it. Does it exactly how he was telling us. And yet we couldn't quite see the picture clear enough to know how He was going to do it. And I think that underneath all of this, the reason for it is God's telling us, trust Me. I know what I'm doing. The whole earth belongs to Me. And if I want to send three pagan magicians who have been watching the stars to welcome the entrance of my king into the earth, I'll do that. Trust me. Do we listen to it? Are we aware of it? Now think about this though. The story doesn't end there. We read further than that. Think about how God could have had Jesus come into this world. God could have said, Jesus is going to be born in a palace to the sitting king, the heir to the throne of Israel. Jesus is going to be adorned with wealth and riches beyond all imagination. And Jesus is going to be worshipped by the throngs of all the nations because of his glory. God could have done it that way. But instead, what happens shortly after Jesus is born? He's a toddler, just a few years old. And he has to flee away from his hometown where he was born to keep the king from killing him. Now, can you imagine that, those of you who've had kids, having a toddler and then being warned in a dream that you need to move to Mexico to get away because the the king of this this country is going to kill your child? That would be very weird, wouldn't it? Now, think about the early upbringing of Jesus, that he spent the first few years of his life on the run with never having a stable life where he was able to unpack things and really live and settle down into a place. He was constantly moving those first few years in order to stay safe until God would give the message, "All's clear, go back. Why did God choose to do it that way? Why? He could have done it anyway, but he chose it for a reason. I think I see three things that we need to be paying attention to in this passage. The first thing, the first thing is that I think that there's a call throughout Scripture for God's people to keep watch, to be vigilant. Jesus even talks about this over and over again, right? He talks about his coming again after he dies and raises from the dead and that he gives parables, right? The ten virgins who have their lamps and some of them have enough uh, oil and enough trim in order to keep their lamps lit until the bridegroom comes and some don't. And then the ones that don't miss out on the bridegroom coming because they're going off to get new oil and new trims, new, new um, wicks in order to keep their lamps going. And Jesus' point is stay vigilant, keep watching. You know, I lived in Santa Barbara for three years. Some of you know that. I was called there to be a youth minister. It was an incredibly suffering experience. It was the worst thing ever. The temperature was like 72 degrees every day. I lived a mile from one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. It was just crazy. Oprah's estate that was like the most expensive estate she had in the world. I could see from my front yard. Uh, it, it was a suffering time, you guys. I never, I never think about it at all. Actually, it was a very difficult time for other reasons, but I'll tell you, I lived there for three years in the middle of a little community called Montecito. Montecito is one of the wealthiest places in this country. And most of the stars in LA have an estate in Montecito. And I can't tell you how many times, it must have been almost daily, that I would come into the church office or I'd be sitting with somebody having lunch and they'd say, I just saw Arnold Schwarzenegger outside. I just saw Christopher Lloyd outside. Or I just saw, and it was just different celebrities over and over and over again. You want to know how many celebrities I saw? Zero. Isn't that weird? I lived in the middle of them, and I never saw one celebrity. Why do you think that is? I wasn't looking, because I didn't care. (laughs) Now, partly it was because I grew up in a really rough neighborhood, so I kind of just kept my eyes on the ground in order to not get shot. But, but, uh, I... I just didn't really care whether the celebrities were around me or not. And so I wasn't looking for them, so I just didn't notice them when they were around me. I was probably around celebrities all the time and never, ever knew it because I didn't care. I think this is what the whole point of this is. Keep watch. Do you really care for God's activity in this world and in your life? Because if you really care, you'll keep watch so that you can see when he's on the move you'll keep watch. And you'll recognize when he's on the move in your life. And if you're having a hard time keeping watch or if you're having a hard time recognizing when he's on the move, well, that's why God places leadership in our church to help you discern those things. Meet with me. Everybody in here knows that if they've asked me, anybody who's asked me knows that if they've asked for time with me, I eventually make time for you when I can. And, and depending on the emergency or how, how severe it is, I will make time for you as soon as possible if you need me. And so if you're having a hard time seeing where God's moving in your life, ask me to meet with you. We'll, we'll talk about it. Second thing I think I see is be ready. Be ready. I, I don't think that the people of Israel, despite all their expectations, despite all the things that they wanted about this promised Messiah, I'm not sure that they were ready. And I'm not blaming Israel because Israel is a representation of all of humanity, is a representation of me. And so when I say, I don't think Israel was ready, it's a confession to say that I don't think I'm ready often enough for God's activity in my life. I think I miss out on times where God has given to me to be a minister of his in powerful ways, but because I've got my blinders on or because I'm just too busy with something else and I don't have time for God, I'm not ready to serve him in that moment. And so I think this passage reminds us that we're to be constantly not just watching and vigilant, but we're to be prepared, ready, to serve him in in a moment's notice at any time when he calls us To do it. The last thing, the last thing I think that we see here is that we're called to be thankful. What was the response of the authority structure of Israel? Fear, doubt. What was the response of three pagans from the ex Babylonian Empire? Adoration, praise. Thankfulness. In effusive ways, they gave this infant gold and frankincense and myrrh. They poured out their thanks for God's promise upon His King. Is your life a life of thankfulness? Are you constantly recognizing no matter how you feel right now, no matter what's going on in the context around you, are you always willing to give thanks to the Lord for all that He's given to you. and For how even in the darkest and most difficult times, even when you can't feel it, you have been promised that He's there. And He's proven it when He came in the flesh and was willing to take on our sins and die for us on the cross. This table, one of the names for the meal that we celebrate on this table is Eucharist. That word literally in the Greek just means thanksgiving, good grace. And so this table represents that spirit, that heart of being willing to be watchful for God's activity. Being willing to be ready to serve him at the moment's notice and being thankful for all that he's done for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this table and what it represents in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that there is no suffering too great that you would stay away from it, but that you willingly came and from the very beginning entered into our suffering, fleeing away from the injustice and oppression of dictators in your infancy and toddlerhood. We thank you that you never shirked from suffering your entire life, but you took it on. And through your suffering, you gave us something far more beautiful than we could ever have imagined or created on our own. And this meal, this table. So Lord, we thank you for the Christians all around the world who celebrate this meal with us. We pray that as they worship you today, whether it be out in the open and free or in trepidation in hiding, Lord, we pray that you would fill their spirit with courage to be watchful, to be ready, and to be thankful to you. Lord, we pray that you would use this meal today for us to fill us up, to make us a people who is watchful, is ready, and is thankful to you. Lord, we pray for those who aren't at this table with us, but who should be. Help us to see their needs when they need us, and to be your hands and feet to them. Whether they be in our community of faith or not. We pray all this trusting in you and laying ourselves at your feet and saying, Lord, we know you are good. So we pray the way your son taught us, saying,